Amen. Thank you. A couple things to make you aware of as we uh, begin this morning. Uh, one thing just to let you know that uh, Dave Daubert passed away. He'd been uh, coming to Chapel Rock just a little bit longer than me, actually. Uh, came at the beginning of 2016. Uh, just got a bad infection that they couldn't, uh, couldn't get rid of. Don't know any arrangements at this point. Uh, he's, he's, uh, some of you may not know him. He's a 915 service guy, but um, I just want to ask you to pray for uh, Dave Doffert and his uh, friends and family as they grieve him. And then also many of our brothers and sisters around the country uh, are taking kind of a special moment today to pray for our president and pray for the Congress and, and the leaders of our country. And so we just want to join with them in, in lifting them up. Um, that's something that we should be doing all the time. You know, Paul instructs the, the New Testament church to continually be doing that. Uh, but we want to take a moment today to join with our, our brothers and sisters around the world and do that. So let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beauty of it. God, thank you that creation uh, is just, uh, in some ways, a revealer of, of you, but it is an imperfect reflection, God, because of what happened in the garden um, with Adam and Eve. And, and we look forward to the day that it's recreated, God, but on a beautiful day like today, we're just mindful of your goodness to us, and we thank you for that. I would pray you'd be with uh, Dave's uh, friends and family as they grieve his passing and are grateful for his faith, Lord, and the hope that that gives us even in our grief. And we want to pray for our president today, Lord. We pray for President Trump. We pray that you just uh, make him wise and help him make good decisions. And we pray the same things, Lord, for our senators and our congressmen and all those uh, who serve uh, you by serving us in serving in government. And so we just ask that you would uh, help them to um, follow the law, to, to write just laws, uh, to further the betterment of all uh, people. Um, God, we love you, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to your body today through your servant, that your word uh, would take deep root in our heart and mind, that you would reveal what you would have us know uh, through the message of your proclaimed word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Debbie and I have had the opportunity over the years to buy four different homes. Our first home that we lived in uh, was a parsonage. The church owned it. And, uh, and so that we spent the first almost four years of our married life together in that home. But since, we have had the opportunity to buy four different homes. Uh, the first one was when we moved to Montana to start a new church. Uh, we bought a house in a brand new subdivision, and it was real kind of basic, vanilla, builder grade. It, wasn't, it was nice, but it wasn't anything fancy, just ordinary. So we put a ton of work and money into this house. Here's a picture of it. Thank God for Google Maps. It didn't look like that then, did it, sweetie? It was just a dirt lot and nothing. Um, but we planted those trees with a pickaxe. That's how you plant in Montana, with a pickaxe. Um, and put in the landscaping and the sod. It looks awesome. Now they, they recited it, so uh, it looks fantastic. And, and you know, it was just real kind of, that was basic. And we, we put in all that work, and then we moved. Because um, I got a scholarship to go back to school to get my master's. So we moved to Illinois, and we ended up in this house. It was kind of a modified A-frame. Uh, and it was, it was spacious. It did the job for us. It worked pretty well. Uh, we were able to do that. The thing that was awesome was it was built on a slab foundation. And we had four kids under age 10 at that time. And so when they would run through the house, like, it was quiet, nothing happened, you know, because in our house now, it sounds like a herd of elephants when they come through. Uh, it's a basement. Uh, and so then when, um, you know, we, we moved again to a different spot in Illinois, and we got this house. And it was, it was a quiet spot in the country. Uh, it was pretty spacious. 
and, and we thought, this is going to be great. Like, we, we've got this spot. Um, it was a, a, a big house on a, on a, a big lot. It was, it was the model home of what was supposed to be a new subdivision. But that happened right at the kind of interest rate when they went sky high in the late 70s and early 80s. And so the subdivision never developed. So it was this model home that they threw up real quick, and then nothing ever happened with it. And we bought it because I'm dumb. And um, <laughs> this place had issues. It had issues. A living room floor is not supposed to bounce, <laughs> right? Like, that's not normal. <laughs> but this one did. <laughs> we, had this, we had this sunken living room in the back of the house, and, and the, the, the floor had a bounce to it, which you don't realize when there's no furniture in. But you move in your TV cabinet with your 250-pound before they had flat screen TVs, and the kids go running through, and the whole thing goes. I had to bolt that thing to the wall, y'all. I was so afraid it was going to just crush my kid. This living room was 15 by 25 feet big, and the floor joists felt like they were made out of two by fours. Now, at some point in the past, they'd gotten some water in the crawl space, and it had rotted, and they didn't even build it to code. It's supposed to be two by 12s. They used two by 10s, and it rotted. And I'm sitting there, I was just, how in the world did this pass inspection? And then I remembered, that house is in Illinois. <laughs> and I'm not saying they paid off somebody, but it's Illinois. No, I'm not, I just, um, <laughs> Chicago. Anyway, um, eventually we paid a, a contractor thousands of dollars to fix it, and then we moved. Um, here. Now, I, over, the, over the years, I have developed a quality test to determine if a home is built right. And I'm going to show you my quality test today, but not right away. First, I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Open your Bible, your Bible app to Zechariah chapter 4. We're about halfway through a sermon series today called When Exiles Come Home about what God had to say to his people after they had come home out of exile in Babylon. God wanted them to complete the work on the temple so that his work to rebuild their community could carry on. Now, while you're turning to Zechariah chapter 4, I want to show you a passage from Ezra chapter 5. This will provide some historical context. Zechariah is a prophetic book. Ezra is a historical book, okay? Here's what Ezra 5 says. Now, Haggai the prophet, there's also a book called Haggai in your Old Testament, and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jozadak, Zerubbabel is the political leader, Joshua is the religious leader, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God, Haggai and Zechariah, were with them, supporting them. Okay, that's the historical context. So that's what's going on historically. I will tell you that our text today is going to feel a little weird because we're coming in on the middle of this, this round of visions, all right? The prophet Zechariah gets angelic visitors and all in one night, he gets these eight successive visions or dreams. It's kind of hard to tell and they kind of, it's flexible. They go back and forth. And, and we're coming in on number six, seven, and eight. All right, and it's going to feel, have you ever walked into a room in the living room, someone's watching a movie or a show on TV, and you're like, you watch for a second, and you're like, what is going on? Like, shh, just watch, you know, right? uh, It's going to feel a little bit like that, like, what in the world? And if you haven't been with us for the last couple weeks, that's the way you're going to feel, what in the world? This is part of Zachariah's dream sequence, okay? 
or a couple dreams out from the end of it, and it's tough to get a sense of narrative flow. There's just this succession of images that depict these truths that God wants Israel to know. So if you're new here today at Chapel Rock, I'm telling you now, this is going to feel a little like, where in the world are we? Just hang on, we're going to explain it, okay? I'd love to meet you. If you are new, when we're done, I'll be down front. Please come say hi. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in. We'd love to have you visit us on site if you're local. Uh, and no matter, on site, online, whatever, uh, fill out your connection card, let us know that you're here. Uh, if you're streaming, just kind of maybe wait until we're done, then, then jump out and do that. But um, if you missed the first two messages in this series, here's the main thing you need to understand, okay? God promised these uh, people from uh, Judah, these Judeans, he brought them home out of exile. Most of them had never lived in the promised land. They, they don't know. There are a few of the older people who, who were kids when they got hauled off into exile 70 years earlier, and they remember Solomon's temple. They remember Jerusalem in that time, but they were little. They were kids. Most of them had never lived there. Zechariah was actually born in exile and, and came to Judah as an adult. They, they don't know. They never saw what it was like before. And so God is having to tell them, this is the kind of community I want you to create. This is the kind of home that I want you to have. And that's what we're going to read about today. We're going to read about the kind of quality home that God wants his people to create so they can fully live out the covenant that he has for them. And I think we can learn something from that. We're going to see that represented in these visions that Zechariah has. And so we're going to try to peel back the layers of the apocalyptic. We're going to interpret the signs of the prophetic to see what kind of home that God wants us to have that's a quality home. All right? Look with me at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. Now, is he still dreaming? Is he awake? Yeah. <laughs> we, we really don't know. How, ha, raise your hand. Have you ever had a dream that in your dream you woke up? Right? I think that's what this is. Right? I remember seeing a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where Calvin wakes up and he goes through all the routine of getting ready for school and eating breakfast and he's miserable. And then he wakes up and that was a dream and has to do it all over again. <laughs> like, I, I think that a little bit of that is happening here. He's dreaming that he woke up. Right? The angel asks him, verse 2, what do you see? I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it. Okay? The way that they would do these big lamps and a big light in, in that time is it's a pillar about, you know, yay big around, okay? Big, big around is a grapefruit, stands up, big, huge, like what we think of as a giant punch bowl on top with little pinched edges around the rim. And they'd stick a wick in that and it would go down into a basin of oil and they'd light it and that would be their lamp. So it's, it's a 6th century BC version of a chandelier. That's what he's looking at on a post, okay? Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? <laughs> no, my Lord. A little bit of a Socratic method going on here. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So this is what God wants the, the political leader to know. Not by might, nor by power. Not by military might, political power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, you're going to get this done. You're going to do this, not by military might, not by political influence, but by the power of the spirit of God. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to the shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. It's literally, may God's favor, God's grace be upon this. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. 
Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? I'm going to come back and explain what that means in a little while. Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches between the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. I looked again, second vision, and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, what do you see? I said, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. 30 feet long, 15 feet wide. And he said to me, this is the curse that's going out over the whole land. Now let me explain. When that word curse, he's not swearing. He's not using bad language. That's not what that word means. Nor is it someone taking a voodoo doll and sticking a pin in it. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? In the law of Moses, there are blessings and curses, okay? The blessings are if you obey the law, if you keep the covenant, I will do this for you. I'll protect you from enemies. Your crops will never fail. All, you know, it'll be a land of milk and honey. It's all that stuff. But there are also curses. And what that is, is God is telling them, if you break the rules, here are the disciplinary actions that will be taken against you. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. We had to do this last night. We had a little one, I won't say who, Ezra, who was um, not sitting down at dinner. He was bouncing in his seat, just up and bounce. Now, he's not big. When he sits on his bottom, the table's right here. But I'm like, sit on your knees, sit down. I told him three times. I said, if I have to tell you again, I will spank you. He got one. We went in the other room. What did you do wrong? I stood up. What did I say would happen if you stood up? Spank it. Okay, you get one, you got one, we went back to the table, we hugged, he cried, it's okay. He learned, blessings and curses, that's what that is, okay? All right, so um, the curse that's going out over the whole land, for according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished, And er and according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name, all right? That's, that, that's talking about taking an oath in the name of God. I, you know, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this point tomorrow you're not a dead man. That's what Je Jezebel said to the prophet Elijah, right? So, it's that idea, it's taking an oath in the name of God. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in the house and destroy it completely, both its timbers and its stones. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, look up and see what is appearing. I asked, what is it? He replied, it is a basket. <laughs> I can't, sorry, I'm just, if I was him, like, no kidding. Uh, you know, like, but he knows it represents something, and that was his question. What is it, what's it represent? And the angel's going to explain it, okay? Um, it's a basket. And he added, this is the iniquity of the people through the land. Iniquity is a fancy word for sin. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. He said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down on it. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, sometimes women are a symbol of sin and wickedness. Sometimes, just as often, women are a symbol of wisdom and righteousness. And the image is used pretty flexibly, just like sometimes in the, in the Old Testament, uh, men are a symbol of courage, and sometimes they're a symbol of cowardice. And it, it, it just, you know, it, it's a flexible image. That's what's happening here, okay? Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. 
They had wings like those of a stork, and they, we'll explain that in a little bit. They, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied to the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. When the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going toward the north country, the one with the white horses toward the west, and the one with the dappled horses toward the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the whole earth, and he said, go throughout the whole earth, so they went throughout the whole earth. Then he called me, look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. Now, we'll pick up at that spot next week. But, but here's what I want to do. Uh, we, I know we've kind of picked up right in the middle. There's a couple more bonus visions that are coming. But I think each chapter here expresses one clear idea, some of which has already been stated in the book, but are restated here, not just to create this cool kind of chiastic prophetic structure, but because God is communicating this parallel message to the people about the kind of quality home that he wants to partner with them to create. Okay? There are three defining characteristics. Here's the first of all. First one is that God is building a complete home. God is building a complete home. There's a lot of images here from the temple. Now we know that Zechariah was from a priestly family. So it's possible that, that like his, great, his granddad may very well have had served in the holy place and seen the, the, the lampstand, the, the original you know, generation one menorah, what all menorahs are based on, this seven-tiered or seven-branched lampstand that's in the holy place in the temple. Okay, it, it's, it's entirely possible that he may have served a little bit of time as the temple's being rebuilt um, and they're, they're having to do this. Oh, there's a lot of temple imagery here, okay? So you've got this temple imagery, you've got the, the capstone and foundation language, and then you've got God saying, I, I'm gonna pay attention to the small things. All of that comes together to, to teach, I think, that God is building a complete home, okay? Now let's talk about what these images mean. First of all, you have these two lampstands, that have golden pipes supplying golden oil from two olive trees, okay? Now that's weird, right? It's just a, it's a bizarre image, all right? You imagine, you know, you've got a lamp and then there's a tree and a pipe connecting them and there's just a constant flow of oil. Um, and here's the thing, it's not, it wouldn't, it's not just weird to us. Some of the images that we read about in the Old Testament are used in other ancient literature. You read Babylonian writings, you read Sumerian writings, you read uh, from the, the, the uh, culture of the Hittites, uh, north, like what's in modern-day Syria. Um, you read about this, or, or modern-day Turkey, excuse me. You read about that stuff, and you can read some of the same kind of language. This one, utterly unique. This image appears nowhere else in all of ancient literature, sacred or otherwise. Uh, it, it's, it's really fascinating. So you've got this, we, we, we're told it's a symbol, we know it's a symbol, but what's it a symbol of? Well, some have suggested it's a symbol of people. Maybe it's Abraham and Moses. That's a possibility. Maybe it's Zerubbabel and Joshua. It's possible. Could be. I think, I mean, it might, it might be all those things simultaneously. I think it's actually bigger than just people. I think it's really representing two kind of almost ideas. And, and here's why. In verse 14, the phrase, the, the two who are anointed, is how the NIV translates it. It's a little difficult in, in, to understand in Hebrew. It literally reads, the two sons of fresh oil. 
Now, the term for oil here is the Hebrew word yeshar. It almost never, it, in no other place does it get used for anointing. That's the word shemen. That's when we think of uh, uh, setting apart a priest or a king, those who were the ones who were anointed were, were, were priests and kings and prophets. When we think about those people being set apart, <laughs> that was the word shemar. But here it's the word or excuse me, the word shemen. Here is the word yeshar. What that word is specifically referring to is um, natural oil. It's not pressed. There's no olive press. There's nothing that's pushing it out of the olive or out of the tree. It's just overflowing naturally. That's the image that, that we're seeing here, is it's just a natural overflow. It's, there's no pressure. It's not manufactured. It's completely just flowing from the tree directly into the lampstand. No human is involved, which is why I think that this is representative, uh, not necessarily of a of prophet or a priest or a king, but that this is representative of God's spirit working in his people through his word. That humans don't have anything to do with it. It's God at work in his people. And here's why I say that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you have in this passage, word and spirit. And we're going to see those things come out again through this passage too, word and spirit. The other thing that speaks to God building a complete home, I think, is that line in verse 10 about the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth. Now, you need to understand that symbolic language. God does not have seven eyeballs, okay? He doesn't have any eyeballs. He's, you know, and Jesus, when he was here, God in the flesh had two, like you do, okay? In, in the Bible, if you don't know, seven is the number of perfection, it's the number of completion. It's very much a symbolic number, okay? And he's just picking up on something that appeared earlier in chapter 3. Look at this, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9. It says, see the stone I have set in front of Joshua, the high priest. There are seven eyes on that stone, or seven facets, like facets of a gem, seven faces. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. When did that happen? Oh, about 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem. So how many channels did the lampstand have? Talk to me. Seven. How many lamps were in each channel? Seven. How many eyes are re referenced? Seven. You have seven times seven times seven, a trinity of sevens. It's multiplied perfection, multiplied completion. And one of those seven represents the omniscience of God, the seven eyes of God who go out and see the whole world, that God knows everything. The idea that he's trying to say is it's complete. It's, it's whole. That, that God is, is doing something here to, to complete us, that God pays attention to every detail, that, that the home, the community he's building for these exiles is, is complete and perfect, and that happens in us and through us through the power of the word of God and the spirit at work in you. Stephen Olford, the prolific writer and influencer of guys like Billy Graham and Charles Stanley once observed, word without the spirit, we dry up. Spirit without the word, we blow up, we explode. Word and spirit, we grow up. We become mature, we become complete. 
As we're completed, God works to build a quality home in us. Now, I think there are, there are three applications to this. First of all, you, you can trust that when Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 2 and 3, that I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I go, I'm going to take you to be with me. You need to understand that when you get to heaven, you're not going to look around. You're not going to do this. You're not going to look around and go, you know, I wish we had. It's not going to happen. It's complete. That the place he's preparing for you is just right. It's just what you need. It's just what you're belonging for. And it will feel like home. Sometimes Christians say, well, what are we going to do when we get there? It won't matter because it'll be home. You just, it'll be like, oh, of course, this is what. Because God's not going to miss a thing. Every detail is covered. Every detail is taking place. That's part of it. The second application here is that God sees every aspect of our community here. He understands every aspect of your, your life here on the west side of Indianapolis. He gets it. He understands you watching online. He sees everywhere where you live too. Listen, God knows about your carnal neighbor that throws parties into the wee hours. God knows about your nosy neighbor that won't stay out of your business. He knows all about the people you drive by every day on your way to work or on your way to hang out with your grandkids or whatever. He knows all about them and he knows that he has put, you, put them in your life to help you become more like Jesus. And he's put you in their life to help them know Jesus too. See, the, the, the final application here is that God is completing you by the power of the Word and the Spirit. As you spend time in the Word, as the Spirit spends time in you, you become more like Jesus. You become more complete, more whole. That's the first characteristic of a quality home. Here's the second. It's a clean home. It's a clean home. Now, this second section in chapter 5 is, is definitely weird. It's some of the weirdest imagery in the whole book. I want to move a little quicker here and just kind of dig down on some of these symbols. You've got this giant flying scroll. It's huge, 30 feet long, 15 feet high. It's going into people's houses. <laughs> and it represents the word of God going into someone's home and exposing their sin. That's what that's designed to represent. All right, on one side, you have the, the, the curses for people who steal. On the other side, you have the curses for people who take oaths in the name of God, who swear falsely. What, is that? What, what are those two things? Those are two commands out of ten, two of the ten commandments, don't steal, don't swear falsely, that represent the, the kind of the two areas of morality. It's the way we treat other people and the way we treat God. And what he's saying is God knows all about that stuff and that there's disciplinary action for people who don't accept his grace if you do these things. If your relationship with God isn't right, if you rebel against him, Judgment's coming, the text says. If your relationships with other people aren't right, judgment's coming, the text says. So you've got commands not to sin against people, commands not to sin against God, and they become symbols of a greater reality that God is going to judge people who sin against other people or himself. And then you've got this image with, of the women with wings of storks, which, by the way, the reason they picked that is it's the biggest bird known to the 6th century B.C. Israelite people. Like, the, the reason they picked stork, there's no special symbolism to the stork. No one's delivering any babies, okay? It's just, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's just, that's the biggest bird they knew, all right? And so they, they, they've got this basket, and it's interesting, there's this detail about a lead cover. Like, what in the world? Well, here's what they would do. They would take baskets, and they would take live animals, you know, and they'd put it in there, and they'd put it, because it's heavy, 
They can't get out. And so what the text is teaching us here is that God is going to take away the sin of the people and he's going to put it in a place where it can't get out and then he's going to haul it off somewhere else for judgment. Do you see where he's going with this? This lead cover and hauling it off to Babylon are symbols to say that the sin has been removed. In other words, the house is clean. And this idea of sin being removed or carried away is actually what's behind the word translated forgiveness in Acts 2.38. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday is next Sunday. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the first gospel sermon. He basically says, you killed Jesus who was God in the flesh. And people are like, what do we do? And this is how he responds. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word translated forgiveness there, there's several words for forgiveness in the New Testament. That one is one that meant that your sins are taken away. They're stripped from you. They're hauled off. That God removes your sin. Listen to me. When you decided on the day that you decided to follow Jesus, when you gave him your life, when you were baptized, God took away your sin. It's gone. He dealt with it. He took it away forever. And by the grace of Jesus, you get to live that way. You're clean. You're clean. The, the kind of house that God wants to build in you is one that's clean. We had guests in our home last weekend. Now, when I say guests, what I mean is people from another part of the country who paid through the nose to stay in my house for race weekend. <laughs> we, we put our house up on Airbnb, uh, and within 36 hours last year, had renters for this year. They've already confirmed again for next year. Um, and, and so we, we had to get our house clean. Now listen, when we know that if you come over and you just show up and surprise us, I can't guarantee what our house is going to look like. But if you, if you come and we know you're coming, we're going to clean. We're going to straighten up. People are constantly saying, I don't understand how when we come to the Scott house with seven kids, it's so clean. Because she's amazing. That's why. <laughs> That's why that happens. <laughs> she's like, pick this up. Okay. Uh, and and it, it's awesome. But here's the thing, when you, when you know that people are coming to your house and they're going to pay you to stay there, and they're going to write a review that everybody on the internet can read, you clean your house. And we, there were places we were cleaning that hadn't seen the light of day in three years. You know, Listen, if you're watching online, you go to your bedroom, look under your bed right now. You tell me how clean that is, right? Look down at your keyboard and look between the keys. Is that clean? I didn't think so. You dig out your cell phone. You don't want to know how many germs are on that thing. Listen. <laughs> That's what the Spirit of God and the Word of God do in your life. They clean you. They clean you. God wants to create a clean home in your life. And if you'll let them, the Spirit and the Word will take the places of sin and the places of brokenness and the places of filth, like Fred was talking about last Sunday, and they will be clean by the grace of Jesus. When you realize, when you see that, you realize just how much you need the gospel. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't think I need it, you desperately need it. We need to hear the gospel preached to us every single week. And here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sin, that filth has been taken away in a single day, just like Zechariah 3 talks about. In my Facebook memories, it was three years ago today that I got to go into the garden tomb that's still empty and see what we remember 
when God took away our sin. (laughs) When you let the incarnate word, Jesus, and the Spirit build your home, you can be sure that it's clean. One of my favorite sayings is this, that there's no pillow so soft as a clean conscience. You got something keeping you up at night? It may be an unconfessed sin. Maybe somebody, you might need to make a phone call to someone, and it might be, Lord, we got to talk. Because knowing your relationship with God and your friends and family and yourself and your community are right, that they're clean, that gives you a clean conscience. It makes your home clean. And when, when it's clean, you can really rest. You can feel safe. Because that's the third thing. It's a safe home. And I'm going to move real quick here, but basically the first few verses of chapter 6 are kind of a restatement of Zechariah 1, uh, 10 and 11. He talks about all these horses going out and they go to the land of the north and they find rest. And there's this, again, this connection where the spirit has found rest in the land of the north. That was Babylon. And what, what, what he's saying here is that before these people who had been God's agent of discipline on, um, on his sinful people took it too far. He says in Zechariah chapter 2, they did too much. And, and now God's vengeance is going to be poured out on the Babylonians. That's why the Spirit has rest there. The, the point of this final vision is that God's victory is now so complete, it's safe for his people to rebuild their community following the virtues and values of his covenant. You see, the more God shapes a community, the safer it's going to be for people to live authentic and faithful lives. And listen to me, church, listen to me. That can be true for a city, the west side of Indianapolis, but it must be true for the church. It must be true for us. We must create a space that's safe enough where people can be vulnerable to confess areas of brokenness where the Spirit and the Word are still working on them and they can be shaped in the image of Christ. That's what I'm asking your help to help me create. I want us to be the kind of church where where it's okay to be not okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. That's the tension that we live in. It's okay to say, I am messed up. To be vulnerable, for us to be a a people who are safe, where this is a safe home to acknowledge that, but where those people can come around you and go, okay, let's talk about how we make you more like Jesus. Let's get that process going. And that is going to create a quality spiritual home for people to grow up in. I told you before, I was going to show you my quality test. I developed this after having a house with a trampoline floor or a trampoline for a living room floor. Um, here, here's what I do. So I'll, I'll go into each room of the house and you go into the middle of the room, all right? And then you jump as high as you possibly can and land hard on both feet in the middle of the floor. Ready? And then you listen. You listen for cracking and popping, because if you do, you, you jump too hard. You know, you, you look for dust moving. You listen for stuff rattling. You know, you listen for dripping. You just listen. And if instead of hearing a big foom, you hear a dull thud, it's probably a quality home. Now, I will tell you guys, my wife hates it when I did that. She's like, you are crazy. What are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing, all right? Apologies to any contractors here, but if a human being built it, I have questions. 
Just saying, nobody's perfect. People make mistakes. But what he builds, what he builds is solid. It's quality. And so when God comes into your life and rips down this old house and rebuilds it, it's quality. It's good. It's complete. It's clean. And it's safe. He's completing you this morning. He's cleaning you today. He's making you someone who's safe to be vulnerable with. So what he asks is that you turn over the blueprints of your life to him. Surrender your idea of what righteousness is and live under his. You leave judgment up to God and you just love people. Did you hear the big idea this morning? God has given us the spirit and the word as a guarantee that the home he's building for us is good. It's a good home. And so my question is, will you come home today? God wants to use you this morning. He wants to work in you this morning to build a quality home just for his spirit to live in, yes, but also for this whole community that we share to be part of. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel fractured, not complete, not whole, It's not what God wants for you today. He wants to rebuild your home. Will you come home today? Come home to Jesus this morning. Maybe you've got an area of your life, maybe a room in your house that uh, you've kind of kicked Jesus out of and need to repent, need to acknowledge, I am not living the way I should, Lord. And I want to give this back to you. You can do that right as we're going to sing together in just a minute. And you can just, in your mind and your heart, pray to the Lord. Maybe you're going to want to tell somebody and and turn to someone next to you and say, hey, would you hold me accountable for this? You might have a prayer need. We're going to have our prayer counselors down front. Or maybe you want to have a conversation with someone. Like, I don't even know what this looks like. You can go to the next step room. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and, and invite you to come home, if you've never done that, to make a decision for Jesus, to come home today as we sing together this morning.